You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. And that means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5 to chapter 4, verse 6. Please follow along in your Bibles and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob because they are full of divination from the east and of fortune-tellers like the Philistines. They are in league with foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold, and there is no limit to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, and there is no limit to their chariots. Their land is full of worthless idols. They worship the work of their hands, what their fingers have made. So humanity is brought low and each person is humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor. The pride of mankind will be humbled, and human loftiness will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up it will be humbled, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the high mountains, against all the lofty hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against every ship of Tarshish, and against every splendid sea vessel. The pride of mankind will be brought low, and human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The worthless idols will vanish completely. People will go into caves in the rocks and holes in the ground, away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor, when he rises to terrify the earth. On that day, people will throw their worthless idols of silver and gold, which they made to worship, to the moles and the bats. They will go into the caves of the rocks and the crevices in the cliffs, away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor, when he rises to terrify the earth. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? Note this, the Lord God of armies is about to remove from Jerusalem and from Judah every kind of security, the entire supply of bread and water heroes and warriors, judges and prophets, fortune tellers and elders, commanders of 50 and dignitaries, counsellors, cunning magicians and necromancers. I will make use their leaders and unstable rulers will govern them. The people will oppress one another, man against man, neighbour against neighbour. The young will act arrogantly towards the old and the worthless towards the honourable. A man will even seize his brother in his father's house 
saying, you have a cloak, you be our leader. This heap of rubble will be under your control. On that day, he will cry out saying, I'm not a healer. I don't even have food or clothing in my house. Don't make me the leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because they have spoken and acted against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. And like Sodom, they flaunt their sin. They do not conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought disaster on themselves. Tell the righteous that it will go well for them, for they will eat the fruit of their labor. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly for them, for what they have done will be done to them. Youths oppress my people, and women rule over them. My people, your leaders mislead you. They confuse the direction of your path. The Lord rises to argue the case and stands to judge the people. The Lord brings this charge against the elders and leaders of his people. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies. The Lord also says, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, walking with heads held high and seductive eyes, prancing along, jingling their ankle bracelets, the Lord will put scabs on the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will shave their foreheads bare. On that day, the Lord will strip their finery, ankle bracelets, headbands, crescents, pendants, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle jewellery, sashes, perfume bottles, amulets, signet rings, nose rings, festive robes, capes, cloaks, purses, garments, linen cloths, turbans and shawls. Instead of perfume, there will be a stench. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of beautifully styled hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothes, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword, your warriors in battle. Then her gates will lament and mourn. Deserted, she will sit on the ground. On that day, seven women will seize one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and provide our own clothing. Just let us bear your name. Take away our disgrace. On that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of Israel's survivors. Whoever remains in Zion and whoever is left in Jerusalem will be called holy. All in Jerusalem, written in the book of life, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the blood guilt from the heart of Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create a cloud of smoke by day and a glowing flame of fire by night over the entire site of Mount Zion and over its assemblies. For there will be a canopy over all the glory and there will be a shelter for shade from heat by day and a refuge and shelter from storm and rain.
Uh, gracious God, we, we do ask in your kindness that uh, as we hear your word, you would give us humble hearts, you'd give us soft hearts, you'd give us teachable hearts. We want to see Jesus. We pray, God, that your word would reveal our sin, but help us see with even greater clarity the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask that you might do these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, some of you uh, would be familiar with uh, the story, The Picture of Dorian Gray. It's a classic novel written by Oscar Wilde about the portrait of a young, handsome man. Dorian falls in love with a picture of his own beauty and he makes a deal with the devil. He wishes that this portrait would grow old instead of him. That, that all his imperfections would be borne by that painting while he himself retains eternal youth. And over 18 long years, Dorian Gray, he doesn't age a day. He looks just as young and handsome as he ever did. But all the while, he engages in every sinful pleasure. This is what he says, I represent to you all the sins you never had the courage to commit. That's a good line, isn't it? See, Dorian Gray was proud. He relied on his own power. He relied on his own beauty. But he knew that whatever he did, he wouldn't bear the cost of his sin. No, his picture would. And it did. As he stayed young, youthful, handsome, that picture became disfigured, distorted, horrible. But even Dorian Gray could only run so far for so long. After 18 years of pride and vanity, he could no longer bear the guilt. So he, he clambers into his attic, he finds that portrait of himself, he takes out a knife and he stabs that portrait of himself in the heart. His servants downstairs, they hear a scream. They quickly run up to the attic and what do they find? An old, disfigured, Decrepit man, lying on the floor, stabbed in the heart. And that picture of Dorian Gray is restored to its original beauty. Friends, that picture is a picture of pride. It shows us that living for ourselves, relying on our own power, relying on our own beauty, it might deliver in the short term. Actually, it probably will. It delivered for Dorian Gray for 18 long years, but in the end, it'll kill us. In Isaiah 1 last week, we, what do we see? We, we saw Judah's bloody hands. And today, in Isaiah chapters 2 to 4, we're going to see Judah's proud heart. You see, you might wonder, in this book, what led them to rely on Syria, Israel, Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon? What, what led them to rely on anyone but God? Pride. Pride. The, the stubborn refusal to rely on God, the, the, the stubborn insistence to rely on ourselves. Uh, Thomas Aquinas writes this, Pride is the first sin, the source of all other sins, and the worst sin. You see, pride, it, pride sits at the heart of every sin. And in this vision, Isaiah is painting for us three pictures of pride. 
Three pictures of pride, a proud nation, a proud man, and a proud woman. And just like the picture of Dorian Gray, these three pictures, they appear attractive. But they're actually disfigured. They tell us that relying on our own power and our own beauty, yet it will deliver in the short term. But it'll kill us in the end. Because God will judge the proud and remove our every point of pride. He'll judge the proud and remove our every point of pride. Uh, Let me show you that the very first picture of pride here in chapter 2, verses 5 to 22, is the picture of a proud nation. Keep your Bibles open and follow along with me. Now, have you realized that a proud nation is a secure nation? And a secure nation is a nation that is self-reliant. It doesn't depend on another nation to protect it. It doesn't depend on another nation to supply its water. It doesn't depend on another nation to support its economy. And isn't that also true of people? Just think about it, right? Parents, they raise their children with the ambition, the aspiration of being self-reliant. Self-reliant. The last thing you want in life, especially as an adult, is to be dependent on anyone else for your own security. And just like the picture of Dorian Gray, pride is attractive. Self-reliance is our ambition. But God warns us that pride is actually deadly because a proud person doesn't rely on God. A proud person doesn't rely on God. That's what we find in Judah, right? Instead of entrusting their future to God, what do they do? In verse 6, they're they're turning to pagan divination and fortune tellers to to kind of discern their own destiny. In verse 7, they're they're putting their trust in wealth and security, silver and gold, horses and chariots. But but here's their fundamental problem right there in verse 8. Their land is full of worthless idols. They worship the work of their hands, what their fingers have made. Can you see, friends, it's all about them, what they can create, what they can construct, what they can control. Instead of relying on the God who created them, they're now relying on a God which they've created. And verse 11 tells us that at the heart of their self-reliance is the pride of mankind. It's the pride of mankind. I mean, let's face it, we all think, don't we, that self-reliance is smart and what everyone should do? But God says self-reliance is foolish and is rooted in pride. I found this chapter fascinating in in reading this word, but for the first time I started to see that that self-reliance is actually the fruit of pride. Just think about it. If you're in financial need and and your friend comes and offers to help you, why do we have this visceral reaction that says, oh, no, 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 I won't take your money? Maybe part of us, where we're a good friend, but surely there's part of us that doesn't want to admit our weakness. We don't want to admit our need. We, we hate the thought of owing someone, 
I'd rather struggle and starve to, to guard my dignity, to protect my pride. Have you realized that some people, they just hate being given a lift? For whatever reason, when you travel anywhere as a group, they always insist on being the one who drives. Could be you. Why? Now, maybe it's motion sickness and I should ease up, right? But maybe it's pride. We want to be in control. The stronger party. Look, I don't mind other people relying on me. I just don't want to rely on them. Self-reliance is the fruit of pride. And God says, I will judge the proud. A proud person, you've seen them, haven't you? They walk in with their head held high. But look at what God is going to do to every high thing in verses 12 to 17. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. It will be humbled. God will bring down all our sources of security. He'll take away anything that we've ever relied on other than Him. All our money, all our power, all our beauty. But because in the end, right, all these things we rely on, Isaiah says they're, they're worthless idols. Whereas Tim Keller says they're gods that fail. You see, an idol, it, it promises anything, it gives nothing, and it takes everything. An idol promises anything, it gives nothing, and in the end, it takes everything. And when God takes away all our sources of security and all our points of pride, look at what will happen, right? The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. But when everything else has been brought down, Jesus alone will be standing high. And this whole world will see that only Him, only Jesus, is the God who doesn't fail. He is the only power truly worth trusting. You know, as you read this and you see God is coming in judgment against our pride, you might wonder, why does God even care? I mean, if I want to rely on myself, if I don't want to rely on Him, that's on me, isn't it? It's a good question. What's it to Him? Well, it matters to Him because when we rely on ourselves, we actually betray the Lord. It's like in a marriage, you don't just make a promise, you, you trust a promise. You rely on the promise of your husband or wife to love and cherish you as long as you both shall live. But, but what if you go through your marriage, a lifetime of marriage, never trusting their promise, never receiving their love, never relying on their care? What if throughout your marriage you actually turn to a stranger for the love you should be getting from your spouse? And when your spouse is upset, as I'm sure they would be, you say to them, well, why do you even care? I mean, if I want to rely on someone else and receive their love, that's on me, isn't it? What's it to you? Don't try it at home. I suspect your spouse will be somewhat justified in being angry for you have betrayed them. And God is angry because when we trust and rely on anyone else other than Him, when we rely on our own strength, our own power, our own beauty, we're betraying Him. And in verses 10, 19, and 21, we see God's 
justified judgment. Three times people will need to hide from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor. Do you see, friends, God will come in justified judgment against anyone who trusts in themselves. Why is Isaiah painting this picture of pride? He wants to show us that pride is a betrayal of God, and it'll only end in judgment. And so comes the penetrating question of verse 22 to all of us. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? Just let that sink in. I'll read it again. Let that sink in. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? You know, over the last few weeks, right, we've been seeing Judah rely on anyone but God. And you might have heard that, seen that, and gone, yep, I get that, right? It is futile to rely on other people. You, you might have realized that actually running from person to person, relationship to relationship, hoping against all hope that the next person will give you what all the others couldn't, it's just not going to work out. And you may have settled on this conclusion. I guess I can't trust anyone. I guess I'll have to just rely on myself. I'm not going to expect anything from anyone, and I'm not going to owe anyone anything. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to earn a lot of money. I'm going to provide for my family. And you know what? I'm not going to rely on anyone else to get there. I'll have a secure life where I don't have to rely on a handout from anyone. But don't worry, don't worry. I'll be generous, right? I'll be good, I'll be, I'll be kind. I'll give other people a handout. They, they can rely on me as I just won't rely on them. It sounds noble, doesn't it? But I hope you can see it's actually just proud. Because it refuses to admit our own weakness, our own limitation, our own need. It, it, it says that, that by our own effort and power, I am strong enough. It says that I'm God. But I'm not. We're not. We're, we're a human who has only the breath in his nostrils. And Isaiah asked this question, what is he really worth? Or maybe let's sharpen a little bit. What are you really worth? What am I really worth? Can, can you rely on yourself? Can you really put your trust in yourself? I mean, we're just as finite, limited, and mortal as anyone else. What makes us think that we're more reliable than they? Now, we need to rely on someone who is more than a mere human. Someone who lives forever. Someone who cannot fail. Someone who cannot die. And Jesus is the, the only human who has ever done that. Jesus is more than merely human. No, Jesus is fully human and he's fully God. He cannot fail and he cannot die. So, so friends, can you hear Isaiah's message? Put no more trust in a mere human. Put your trust in the true human. Put your trust in Jesus. 
He's the only one who's worthy of our trust. And Isaiah warns us, if we don't rely on him like, like a wife should trust her husband or, or a husband should trust his wife, we, we are betraying him. And God will come in justified judgment to show us that we are not God. Jesus is. This is a picture of a proud nation which foolishly trusts itself. And now in the first half of chapter 3, we're going to see another picture, another picture of pride. But this picture is the picture of a proud man who trusts his power. A proud man who trusts his power. It's sad, but the picture of a proud man isn't very surprising, is it? I mean, many of us have seen it before. The, the, the man who takes pride in his position, who needs to be strong, who hates being controlled by others. And let's face it, how many of us are like that proud man who wants to be the master of our fate and the captain of our soul? The proud nation of Judah is led by proud men just like this. In fact, according to verse 1, these proud men are their source of security. But something about these leaders is very wrong. Because when you look at verse 2 and you see that list of leaders, you see mixed in with the judges and prophets who you'd expect to see are cunning magicians and necromancers, evil men who reanimate the dead. You see, that the men of Judah, the leaders of Judah, are thoroughly corrupt. In verse 9, they flaunt their sin. They don't even conceal it. They're, they're so brazen in their rebellion. They're proud about their own sin. And in verses 13 to 15, God puts them on trial. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? Friends, can you see the sin of Judah's men? They abuse their power, they oppress the poor, and in verse 12, they're weak leaders who mislead God's people. They rely on their power and they use their own power for their own interests at the expense of the most poor and vulnerable. Isaiah says they have devastated the vineyard, they have hurt the people of God. You know, they say that there are no victimless crimes. Well, guess what? There are no victimless sins, especially pride. You see, pride takes no prisoners. But if we rely on our own power, if we place ourselves in the center, in the place of God, we will end up using other people to serve us. If we hate being controlled by others, well, the only answer is we'll seek to control them. Do we rely on being in control? Do we rely on that power to, to determine our own future, uninhibited, unencumbered by the expectations and the desires of other people? You see, we need to be very careful. Because self-reliance, it doesn't just refuse to rely on other people. It actually forces other people to rely on us. If we rely on our own power to, to live however we want to live, well, we're going to become harsh, controlling, demanding of others that, that they serve us. We will use our own power, our pride in our power, for ourselves at the expense of everyone else. 
which is exactly what the men of Judah were doing. They were relying on their power at the expense of the poor. And God says, I'm not going to stand idly by when you, while you do this. I'm going to protect my people. I'm going to judge the pride of men. Just picture now this devastating reversal of power in verses 4 to 12. Instead of powerful leaders, Judah will be ruled by unstable rulers. There'll be chaos in the streets as every leader is removed one after the other. If you so value your power, I'm going to create this power vacuum so great that in verse 6, simply owning a cloak will qualify you to lead the city. But by then, what kind of city is it to lead? I mean, it's a heap of rubble. No one will lead the city, and no one will have the power you so rely on. Can you see what God is saying? If if your power is your pride, I will take your power away. It's heavy stuff, I know, right? And we feel a little bit uncomfortable reading passages like this, don't we? Judgment, judgment, judgment. And we sit there and wonder, oh gosh, can't we just move on to the nice bit? How could a loving God judge like this? But but notice what Isaiah says in verse 9, Woe to them, for they have brought disaster on themselves. Did you see, friends, that the fault of our judgment does not lie with God, it lies with us. Relying on our own power is actually self-destructive. It's like mishandling uranium. It'll give you a ton load of power in the short term, believe me, right? But it will poison you and everything else around you. And God will not stand idly by while the proud men of Judah are using their power to oppress his people. You see, in that first picture of pride, we saw that we can't trust ourselves. And in this second picture of pride, we see we can't trust our own power, our own control. Because if we do, God will take it away. And now in the third picture, we see a proud woman who trusts her beauty. A proud woman who trusts her beauty. Look down at verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 1. We see that pride is still the name of the game. Because in verse 16, the daughters of Zion are what? They're haughty. It's just another old school word for arrogant. They walk with their heads held high, looking down on everyone else around them. They're they're a woman who, who dresses beautifully, elegantly, and she walks into the room with her head held high, almost expecting everyone around her to turn their heads and go, wow. It's the picture of the women here in Judah, uh, from Judah, in chapter, from chapter 3, verse 16 onwards. Look at it. You got the sense of it when Jung was reading verse 18, didn't you? She wears all the finery of verse 18. Ankle braces, headbands, crescents, pendants, and on and on it goes. Why does she wear all of this? Why does she spend so much time beautifying her external appearance? So that she might attract the attention of others. In verse 16, she has seductive eyes and she's jingling her ankle bracelets to invite everyone else's attention and praise. Chapter 4, verse 1 suggests the purpose of her beauty is to find a man who will give her his name. 
who will protect her, who will provide for her. And in order to get that husband, in order to get that man, she, she relies on her own beauty. Now, now, let me be clear, right? There is no sin in a woman looking beautiful, just as there's no sin in a man exercising power. The problem doesn't lie in power or beauty. The problem relies on, actually, whether we rely on our power or our beauty. I mean, how many of us, both women and men, put our trust in how we look? Or maybe more importantly, how many of us put our trust in how we think everyone else looks at us? We spend hundreds, maybe thousands, of dollars on expensive clothes, all so that we might cut a certain image. Why do we cut it, want to cut a certain image? So we can be seen in a certain way. We spend countless of hours on hair, on body, on skin, also that we might be accepted or at least not rejected by other people. We diet. We gym, some of us, to sculpt and craft a perfect body that's desirable by all. We walk into the room, maybe on Sundays, maybe with your friends, and you just want everyone to go, wow. How many of us look in the mirror, though, and feel shame at what we see? How many of us look in the mirror and feel fear at what other people might see in us? Though, some of us might look in the mirror and be proud of what we see. Maybe a bit too proud. I mean, I have to admit, guys, you know, it's hard being this handsome, right? Beauty is my cross to bear, you might say. It is a real danger because our culture makes far too much of physical appearance. And our world tells us you are how you look. But God says be very careful. Because if beauty is your pride, I will take your beauty away. And what we find in these verses is a shocking picture of a reversal of beauty. Just as power was turned to chaos, now beauty is turned into ashes. Instead of perfume, there'll be a stench. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of beautifully styled hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothes, sackcloth instead of beauty, branding. You see, friends, where these proud women sought to attract the attention of many men who would give them their name, one day seven women will beg one man and even pay to get his name. It's this shocking picture of what God will do to everyone who relies on their beauty. Friends, can you see so far throughout this passage, right, whether it's expressed in relying on ourselves? on our power or on our beauty, all of us, we all share the same problem, men and women. We all have a problem with pride. Because at heart, pride is self-reliance. Pride is the refusal to rely on God. And God will not have us rely on anything other than Him. Not ourselves, not our power, and not our beauty. These three pictures show us that God will remove our every source of security, our every reason for reliance, our every point of pride that is not Him. There is, though, there is, though, one last picture. There is, though, a fourth picture of pride 
And this, though, is a picture of pride that we're meant to have. The power we're meant to rely on, the beauty we're meant to enjoy. This is a picture of God, our true pride. I want you to imagine this, right? This is what I love about Isaiah. It engages our imaginations. And picture this. On that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of Israel's survivors. You see, the the branch of the Lord will be everything that Judah sought to rely on in every other place. God will be beautiful in a way that no jewelry, clothing, or husband could ever be. God will be glorious in a way that no ruler, judge, or leader could ever be. God will be the pride that is truly worth relying on. And in verses 5 to 6, the branch of the Lord, it will provide the security that Judas so longed to enjoy. You might remember, just as the Lord protected Israel out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, what will happen now? One day he'll do it all again. But this time he'll protect us not once. He'll protect us forever. In verses 5 to 6, there'll be a canopy over all the glory, sealing and keeping in the protection and the presence of God. And there will be a shelter for shade from heat by day and a refuge and shelter from storm and rain. Just just picture that for a moment. You and I will be safe and secure forever. We'll be covered by the branch of the Lord. It's why it's such a great sin to rely on ourselves because when we rely on ourselves, we're actually insulting the God who has given us His Son to be our true protection, our true safety, and our true security. I know, so when I read this passage, right, I get to the end of it and I think to myself, wait, so is God saying that I should have no power in life? Is God saying that I shouldn't look beautiful and I should look terribly ugly in life? I kind of want some power. I kind of want some beauty. And God says it's not bad to want power and beauty. It's about where you find it. Why should we need to rely on ourselves? Why should we need to rely on our own power? Why should we need to rely on our own beauty? We have the branch of the Lord. We have Jesus. He is our power. He is our beauty. He is our refuge from the heat and our shelter from the storm. Why would we look anywhere else? Why did God judge Judah? Why did he put Judah through a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning? He did it to burn off their pride to wash away their filth, to cleanse their blood guilt. He he judged them so that they might see that it's foolish to rely on themselves. He judged them so that they might rely on Him, so that they might receive His eternal power, beauty, and security. Friends, we are not like Judah. For unlike Judah, we have Jesus. And Jesus bore that spirit of judgment in our place. He went through the spirit of judgment. 
Jesus went through that spirit of burning so that we don't have to. Jesus bore the penalty of our pride so that we might enjoy his power, his beauty and security. Jesus' death means that we don't have to go through the burning of Judah in order to be saved. You see, this final picture of God, our true pride, it isn't just the picture of a branch. It's the picture of a cross. There is something to take pride in. There is someone to rely on. There is a saviour to truly trust. Years ago, uh, I, when I, I worked prior to going into ministry, our law firm would often engage a barrister, and we went into this barrister's chambers, and it was quite funny, right? Like, he, he just moved in, it was pretty bare, but the only thing he had other than a desk and a chair was a portrait of himself. Barrister's a bit like that, right? And it's very interesting, like, the, the posture that he took, the, the pose that he had. It was, it was regal, it was respectable. You could see how he wanted everyone to look at him. Now, you've got to understand, this guy, he's not the greatest looking guy by any human standard, but, but he was projecting power, or authority, strength. You'd walk in and see this portrait and go, I mean, you wouldn't say he's handsome, but you'd go, wow, he's powerful. You could see how he wanted the world to see him. If someone were to, now maybe some of you might want this, but if someone were to paint a picture of you, what would you want it to look like? What image would you want everyone else to see? Someone who's proud, self-reliant, self-made? Oh, they'll walk in and see that painting and go, aha, this is a man or woman who never relied on anyone and made it in the world. Someone who succeeded by their own wealth and security, by their own power and effort, by their own beauty and looks. If someone painted a portrait of you, what would you want them to see? Maybe they'll walk in and see that portrait and go, wow, he's so handsome. I wish I could be like him. Now, they're probably not going to say that, but you'd love them to think it. If that is somewhat of the portrait you want the world to see, I wonder... What's the real picture? What's the real picture? You see, so many of us, we live like Dorian Gray, don't we? Trusting in our own power and trusting in our own beauty. And on the outside, it looks great. But the real picture on the inside tells a very different story. Our pride, our power, our beauty, all on the outside, all for the world to see, it actually disfigures our true image. And one day, it will kill us, if not in this life, then on the day of judgment in the next. But what if? What if that picture of you was actually the opposite image? What if your life looked humble, dependent, and fully reliant on God? What if you were free from striving for financial security and material prosperity? What if someone looked at a painting of you and said, gosh, this is a man or a woman who didn't care about retaining power or control over their own lives? What if you were content with your true beauty and you didn't rely on your looks to find acceptance from others? The world might walk past your portrait and painting and go, forgettable. 
but your real picture, the portrait that God sees, the painting that hangs in the halls of heaven, will look like the branch of the Lord, beautiful and glorious. There, there is a picture of true pride. Let me pray. We care so much about how the world sees us. We are troubled and so disturbed by how other people look at us. And so we seek to rely on our own power, our own wealth, and our own beauty to trust in the Lord. But God, we need to trust in you. And so we ask and pray that in your kindness you will help us do just that. Help us turn from our sins. Help us turn to your Son and see in him the only cause for our true pride, our true joy, our true power, our true beauty. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.